It's a homesteader's claim to 640 acres. I'd like it if you all go in with me. All they wanted was a fresh start. Well, your claim's worthless without your husband alive. They had no rights. You touch her again, you're a dead man. They had no justice. If your laws don't include me, well, then they just don't apply to me either. And no one to stand up for them. They didn't want this kind of light. They didn't ask for this kind of trouble. Uh, who's going to volunteer for the posse? But fate turned four women into friends, four friends into fugitives. Stop! And four reluctant heroes. <laughs> we hate heroes. Into legends. Bad girls. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B Movie Podcast. The official beginning of season two, as we are taking on two series. Uh, the first of which is um, for women in uh, women in film. I'm calling it badass women, and then dot 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 whatever we're actually looking at this uh, during the week. So this week, as you can tell from the show notes, it's badass women westerns where we're looking at two westerns uh you should have already seen it if you're on our letterboxd uh account you can actually see in advance what we're actually covering we uh we're covering both bad girls and the quick and the dead uh if you want this kind of stuff like if you want the kind of inside scoop of what we're watching in the next week all you have to do is just go ahead and follow us on that letterboxd account and you will find all of the goodies there uh, just as a little incentive to actually follow us there um so let's just get right into it no more mishigash or bullshit here we're just going to go ahead and start up now uh, just before actually before i begin let's go ahead and just talk a little bit about format so it's going to be a little bit more structured um there's some a few things that i wanted to change up and one of them specifically was the structure so you're going to notice that there's going to be a little bit more formality with the structure. It may not happen right away, but you're eventually going to start seeing it solidify more and more as we move forward because this is all experimentation, of course. So um, let's just get right into it. So our first film, uh, Bad Girls, released in 1994, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, uh, written by Ken Friedman and Yolanda Turner, starring the quadruple threat of... Uh, like early '90s uh, starlet starlets or actresses, Madeline Stowe, Mary Stuart Masterson, Andy McDowell, and Drew Barrymore, and uh, the male actors giving them support are James Russo, ja James Legro, uh, Robert Loja. Uh, and of course, who can forget Dern, uh, Dermot Mulroney, not to be mistaken with Dylan McDermott. So, yes, we have that little, you know, Dick Sargent or Sergeant York uh, situation here uh, in the 90s as we won't get into. But I always like to make, uh, you know, I think everybody that was a film fan in the early 90s recognized the Dylan McDermott, Dermot Mul uh, Dert Mulroney uh, sort of uh paradox uh, and can relate to it but uh bad girls is a western kind of socially relevant by way of uh let's go ahead and make a a wild bunch slash cash in on young guns but make it from a female point of view uh film I mean, <laughs> uh, it basically concerns these four women. Uh, they, uh, again, played by uh, Madeline Stowe, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Andy McDowell, and Drew Barrymore. They are uh, they are workers in a brothel, and uh, very quickly within the first two minutes of the movie, the inciting incident occurs where uh, one of them kills a colonel. And this starts a series of events where they become outlaws and get mixed up into a bunch of shit with, um, you know, with old flames, new flames, all of it being set against this a race uh, against time to get away from uh, the Pinkerton detectives that are uh, chasing them. Now, the reasons why I love this film. I love this film because, 
like at the time of release when I'd seen it, I hadn't seen very women, uh, very many women influenced or went women westerns, and it was like it was literally the perfect complement to the Young Gun series, at least to me because. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved fucking Young Guns. I loved Young Guns 2. Um, controversial opinion. I may actually love Young Guns 2 more. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the whole, you know, um, the whole Pat Garrett uh situation of it all like I really like that that dynamic in that movie um I and I also like that it's a bummer of an ending like Young Guns 2 is all about people dying um but we're not here to talk about Young Guns 2 we're here to talk about um Bad Girls and what I really liked about it was it was the one of the first films that I'd seen in the theaters that like the women were like it was an active it was an active choice to have the women be the uh, in the forefront they weren't yes of course they were as the cliche is they were prostitutes um but what i liked about the film and the script was is that it flipped it and made it so that they weren't really reliant on any of the men in the film that were helping them i mean they kind the, the men helped them but ultimately it was it was the women that helped themselves and got themselves out of situations. Um, I was at the time I was heavily, heavily into uh, westerns, but not. I wouldn't say like traditional John Wayne westerns. I was more of a. I had just found like at around this time in '94, I had just found The Wild Bunch, uh, and it literally changed my life. Like as a film goer, like that's the kind of westerns that I was into, and this movie fits kind of perfectly into that mold. Um, it, it's it's one of those films that when you watch it, you go, "Fuck yeah!" They totally took they totally took the structure of um, especially the last third of uh of the wild bunch and just completely ripped it off i mean so much so that they have gantling guns as a um as a plot point in this and in exchange for from guns to a certain uh, a certain character and i won't ruin it because in case you guys haven't seen it there's not i don't want to like I don't want to ruin some of the the plot twists because I mean I really like this film. Like, like I was I was recently doing my research for it and I came upon of course the dreaded Rotten Tomato score and the my reaction to the Rotten Tomato score was literally fuck you motherfuckers because it's a fun ride. It's ninety five minutes long I think and it takes all of the all of the mishigash and throws it out and makes it the leanest meanest thing that it could possibly be. I mean. Literally, the film opens up with this really, uh, like this really fantastic single single shot where you go from a from a window frame where you see Mary Stuart Masterson's character Anita um, have her first client of the day. It seems, and she like goes around and has a little like a little bit of business with him before she shuts the window, and then it tracks out to the town where you see they're celebrating something. Um, and then it goes into the actual bar set where we, we find Cody, um, uh, played by Madeline Stowe, Eileen played by, uh, Andy McDowell, uh, Lily, uh, played by Drew Barrymore, all respectively in their spots, doing their little bits of character, uh, character moments. It's kind of great. It's, it reminded me of the Boogie Nights opening tracking shot. It's not as complex and it's not as, uh, brilliant as that, uh, PT Anderson opening shot, but it definitely sets a tone that makes you like, you know, makes you realize, you know what, maybe this is a little bit more stylish than I, I might give it credit for. And uh, to its credit, it really does live up to that. Um, and we don't, we're not really like, we're not, it, it's funny because like when I was watching it, like the thing that I noticed also was, is that they, they kind of riffed off of, uh, the unforgiven and within like a 30 second span kind of gave this kind of fuck you middle finger to the unforgiven and it's inciting incident of a prostitute being cut to shreds by a respective John, uh, and while the women like screamed and in horror, uh, as it was occurring, like this one in this film, uh, there's nothing like that. I mean, they threaten, 
like the the man that's with her uh that's with um Anita threatens her and uh, fucking Madeline Stowe just comes out fucking guns blazing, literally fucking guns blazing. Like Madeline Stowe is just super fucking awesome in this movie. And as just in a general, like, like, let's just talk about Madeline Stowe, an actress that I feel like has been forgotten uh, in this era, like 20 plus years later. I mean, Madeline Stowe at this time was like the shit. Like she was awesome. Like she was, I mean, she had been in, she had been in this. She had opened films like uh, there is a great there's a great uh, film that she did in the uh, like in the mid 90s around this time called Blink, where she plays a blind woman. And I will tell you, honestly, we're probably going to fucking cover that film. She's in she was uh she was the main, uh, the the lead, uh, the lead female actress in *Last of the Mohicans*. She was, um, <clears throat> she was in *Shortcuts*. Uh, she was um, in *Unlawful Entry*. I mean, she was really like, I mean, she was even in like, uh, she was in *Stakeout*. Like, she was, she was definitely one of one of the one of the actresses that were like were like were working 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 stars and i just i i loved her during this period because like she was actually one of my favorite actresses and in point in fact the movie that had me like that first like i know it's going to sound weird but the first movie i think that i was introduced to her in in a really like striking fashion was uh tony scott's revenge which Probably next season, uh, in season three, we're we're probably going to cover if I'm lucky enough. If not, season three, season four. Um, that is a film that has been on my uh, on my register to uh, to actually show, uh, like to actually talk about because uh, it's one of my favorite Tony Scott films, and it was the movie that I fell in love with her in. And, I mean, it was it, like revenge. Like the Wild Bunch is another film that I saw very early, and it was a very formative, uh, formative film for me. And now, of course, there is some very tricky stuff that happens in in Revenge that we'll deal with, uh, you know, during that that film or during the discussion of that film. But I can tell you that I was just I was just starstruck by her. I mean, and then when I ended it up when you know, invariably you end up doing all of the work that you do, like as a film fan, even as a teenager going in deep diving into the whatever roles that you could find that they were in. Uh, I found somebody who was like this really great underappreciated actress. Even now, I feel like she's super underappreciated for what she did and her her approach and her style of uh, of acting. And it's just kind of sad. I mean, like like this is like a star making performance in uh, you know, there are other things that she's done, like I said, like Blink, um, especially uh, Unlawful Entry, which are just fucking fantastic. I mean, you just kind of like sit there and you go, fuck, yeah, this is great. This is really great. Um, I mean, of course, you have like you have other you have other actresses here that are just literally 90 stalwarts, like women that had opened up films um, either before or after or were on the rise or were already at that point in their career, like Mary Stuart Masterson, I mean, she, I mean, like, I think that everybody can agree that, uh, fried green tomatoes, like that's her film. And she owns that fucking film. Like there is no tomorrow. And she's just fucking great in that. And she's, she's great here as Anita of playing him. I think of all of them, like the weeping willow, but I mean, even then her arc is pretty interesting and in how she ends up, uh, where she ends up, um, and what she ends up doing, and her her whole her whole plot line with the plot of land that they're that they need, like their their escape, their happy ending, which is a a, a like a plot of land or like a a mind that she needs to cash in on, uh, or uh, Andy McDowell. I mean, uh, Andy McDowell would be a staple of like uh, of films both independent and big budget through this whole entire time period starting with of course sex lies and videotape i know that she's a very divisive figure which is really weird to me um because i've always felt that she was uh, she, she was an underrated actress not like where some people thought that she was overrated i think that uh, like her work cannot be didn't like the reason part of the reason why groundhog's day works the way that it does is very much so like 
like Sigourney Weaver in in um, Ghostbusters, she is she she plays off of Bill Murray in a way that I feel like very few actresses can or even want to um, like her her work there cannot be denied. I mean, I think that part of the reason why we get when we get great Bill Murray films is because he has a lead actress that he's pitted against or 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 matched up against that doesn't suffer his bullshit. Um, I think that that's part of the problem with most Bill Murray movies. And I know that's really shocking and a very unpopular opinion, but I feel like 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 the people that don't stand for his bullshit are the people that end up making the film better, uh, especially in Bill Murray movies. I know that you probably are angry at me and you probably want to send me hate mail, but if you really think about it, that's probably, it's a, it's a very accurate statement about Bill Murray films. Just think about it. Think about it. And then of course, um, you have Drew Barrymore who, I mean, at this time she was that, she had just gotten out of the, you know, awkward teen and going into this like, you know, early twenties, uh, sex pot, the sex pot roles, which is really interesting when you look at her career as a whole and her, like the arcs that she had taken in film. Like, it's really honestly very interesting to see that like she, like in quick succession, she would, she would be in, uh, she would be in this Poison Ivy, um, Boys on the Side, like movies that really kind of sexualized her. And I I don't know if that was something that I, I feel like that was something that she did intentionally to separate herself from her cutesy child, like, you know, her cutesy child um, uh, phase. I mean, like even before this, she did a movie with uh, with somebody who was very important to uh, Bad Girls, Tamara Davis, she did Gun Crazy. She did the remake of Gun Crazy with with director Tamara Davis, um, and also James Legros, who's in this film. And uh, it it never felt like she was being exploited. I feel like now looking back on it, it feels like she was actively making choices to redefine herself, like as she has done in all of her career. I mean, if you really look at Drew Barrymore, which um, I really want to, at a certain point, really kind of take a look at her career because it's just amazing to look at how much how much she actively controlled her career and how she course corrected things. Because by the end of the 90s, she's actively looking to go into her late 20s, early 30s in the rom-com scene. And she does it perfectly by doing these a string of films that starts with The Wedding Singer and just naturally, like, it just naturally evolves. I don't think that people give... Drew Barrymore the credit that she deserves because I mean she literally is like like her family lineage a a pillar of Hollywood I mean she's the I think it's the third or no she's like the fourth generation of Barrymore that had an acting career and not just a not just a small acting career but this fucking career was fucking huge I mean think about the movies that you 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 remember Drew Barrymore in now most kids like I mean look at the kids that came out of E.T. I mean all of them including Christy Swanson who just has a cameo in E.T. all of them didn't really have big careers it was it was only Drew Barrymore and Drew Barrymore like she had the point where she could have burnt out like Macaulay Culkin and not had had a career anymore I mean th- I mean like even further like her personal life with with the drugs and alcohol um and like abuse that she went through she still managed to rise above that shit I mean that's just fucking amazing to me fucking amazing like like I think like I said I think that honestly we do not give Drew Barrymore enough credit for the career that she has or had I mean just even now I mean she's still fucking relevant I mean she's in her she's in her mid 40s a, a point where most actresses because of the way that Hollywood defines them starts to rescind but she's still doing it she still like has like she she's actively working. I mean, like uh, if you don't watch Santa Clarita Diet and we don't normally I mean, as a still that rule still applies. We don't talk fucking TV on the B-movie podcast, but I will make this exception because Drew Barrymore is killing it in the next phase of her career with 
with uh, Santa Clarita Diet. I mean, where she's um, where she's partnered up with uh, fuck, what's his name? Timothy Oliphant. I mean, like and like, you know, I just I feel like that show is just like it just proves to me that Drew Barrymore like it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs but if Drew Barrymore was a man she would still be fucking working uh, she'd still be working in Hollywood opening up films I mean that's just to be quite honest it's just just like and, and her career proves that she can still do it and she still does have that juice and it's an amazing thing especially like you know uh, especially because she's a woman and in and a woman at a time in her career from the 80s the 90s and the early aughts where she was one of the few that had ultimate control of her career and that is something that ultimately is is a very rare thing and and it really should like she's like one of the pillars and the cornerstones of uh of like women in film and during that era. I mean, she's defined it in a lot of ways, which, you know, I don't think it's enough. She doesn't get enough credit. Like in the way that Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock get credit, like she definitely doesn't. And, you know, it's interesting to like, look at this film and realize it's just like a a fun Western. But I mean, there were a lot of fucking problems on this film. Like um, I mentioned Tamara Davis and Gun Crazy. Uh, She was actually the original director hired. And after like three days of filming, they fired her and hired Jonathan Kaplan, who I, I mean, you know, B-movie, uh, B-movie Landia fans or, or B-movie uh, podcast fans know Jonathan Kaplan. I mean, if, you, if you've spent any time looking at, like, you know, looking at exploitation films of the 70s, you definitely know him. I mean, he, he was the guy that did <laughs> night call nurses, student teachers. I mean, the, these were like, you know, damn near fucking pornos, like softcore porn shit. But then he got into... Uh, Truck Turner, which is a fucking great movie. Uh, White Line Fever, um, Over the Edge. Like, you know, I mean, he was the director of Project X. Uh, um, He, he, like, he would, like, he went from that to, like, being a socially conscious director that made The Accused, which is, uh, like, I think that that movie is seriously not looked at um, enough. Um, I, I would hope that. Uh, some people will actually take a look at it. It, it, it because it, it's it's really it's the first the first of two back to back Oscars Oscars for Jodie Foster. But I mean that's the man that Jonathan Kaplan was. I mean he he fluxed all through. He was like a journeyman director, and he took over from Tamara Davis. Nobody really isn't sure about the reasons why Tamara Davis was fired, but she definitely was, along with Becky Johnson, who wrote the original, like, who had wrote the original script with Yolanda, uh, Yolanda Turner, um, and, I mean, Becky Johnson herself has, like, I mean, she was no slouch at the time, I mean, she had, she had come off of Prince of Tides, an Oscar nomination for Prince of Tides, the Barbara Streisand film, and so, for these two to kind of get, uh, to get fired, um, I mean, this was, like, you know, at the time, think Tamara Davis had done Gun Crazy and then uh she had done uh the surprise hit CB4 uh the Chris Rock rap movie that I think that nobody expected to do business but it ended up doing business and um the producers just uh just outright fired her and like I said replaced her with uh Jonathan Kaplan so there was a lot of like a lot of mishigosh going on in the behind the scenes drama I mean uh, Drew Barrymore said it was a fucking hard production i mean from like what everything was uh was discussed in my research i found that there were a lot of things that that tamra davis was trying to do with the film that ultimately got swept under she was kind of trying to make it a little bit more of like a technicolor um uh visually arresting film and i i maybe it's that maybe they just did not like that but they ended up uh pulling her and putting in Jonathan Kaplan who who shot it as just basically a straightforward western i mean you watch this film and it is very very much so like a very true blue western it wasn't anything unique and i mean to be honest like i i feel like 
it's a little bit painful to realize that Tamara Davis was was hired to direct this film because she is such a visually arresting director. She she worked in music videos for years before uh, getting the chance to direct something. Uh, and I just kind of would have liked to have seen. I know I would have liked to have seen that that vision uh, and just had seen what she had in store for us because the script was completely rewritten. Um, a lot of it, it feels like when I was doing my research, it felt very similar to a modern day. Um, and this is somebody that is actually going to uh, come back into play. But um, the film Jane's Got a Gun um it, it felt very similar to that where it was just a, pr a troubled production. And we're actually, go we like I said, like we'll definitely get into what happened with uh, with that f film. Well, not really get into what, what that film was, but um, there's a certain person that was involved with that film uh, that we'll get into later that um, like I feel like ties nicely to um, to this film. But I one thing that I haven't mentioned during this whole entire time is the guys. And a lot of that is because they play second fiddle to the women in this film, which is something I said at the beginning, which is kind of great. Like if you're looking for something that is like this proto feminist Western where women are are doing it on their own. I mean, this is this is kind of but you want it to be a little bit more glossy and not something like Kelly Reichert does um with Meek's cutoff. I, I and like don't get me wrong, like I I really want to say this first and foremost is that I fucking love Meek's cutoff. I love Kelly Reichert's um uh work. It's just that I know that it's specifically not for a lot of people and this is this is kind of like the glossy Kelly Reichert stuff. Um because there's no, like, every guy in this film is either a supporting role, like a boyfriend, a, a love interest, um, or they're somebody that is an adversary. And, uh, I mean, of course, I mean, we can't get, we can't talk about this film without talking about the great, great Robert Loja. Loja. Um, that fucking dude is here, almost unrecognizable in a beard, um, playing the... Um, the main, like, he's not the main villain, but he is a part of a one-two punch of him and James Russo. If if you, 90s fans should know, like, 90s B-movie fans know James Russo. At least I hope that you guys know James Russo because he he plays Kid Jarrett, the, the, the ex-lover. I mean, I would, the way that it's interesting because when you watch the film the first time, you it's kind of like it, it's not specifically stated, but after watching, if you've watched it a few times, there's a point that they kind of gloss over that she, Kid Jared and Cody, uh, Madeline Stowe and James Russo's characters were involved with one another. And the thing is, is that when you first watch it, you you think that it's a boyfriend girlfriend relationship, but very quickly you realize it was it wasn't that it, it was the fact that Cody was held basically held hostage and forced to be with with Kid Jared, just basically being raped. Uh, she was continually raped by by this gang of uh, this outlaw gang, but it's it's really kind of glossed over, which I find like. It was it, like I find that that was something that I I'm not really sure I like because it's it's something that I think that they should have handled very directly and head on because with everything else going on in this film and especially with Jonathan Kaplan as a director I mean he directed the accused as I was saying that this kind of like let's not talk about it reeks of like studio interference almost or like you know the ruddies the the bond producers are the ones that produced this film and i'm wondering if that was kind of a thing that they wanted to gloss over um uh but if you when you watch it a couple of times if you've watched it a couple of times it, it kind of becomes very clear that that's what their relationship was and Russo and Loja together are kind of great. They're this one-two combination. Russo, it's like very young James Russo. So it's it, it's kind of great to watch him. And like I said, if you're a if you're if you're a B movie fan from the 80s, you know who I'm talking about. Um 
And I mean, he's even now in the nineties into the, or into the two thousands and the, and the, the teens, he's, he's still a staple here. He's still a staple here. And, um, he's great as kid Jarrett. He's like this man, baby fucking proto, uh, proto film bro. That's just a piece of shit. And I mean, continually lives up to being a piece of shit because, you know, for whatever reason he feels that he's better than his daddy and his daddy's not any better because he's a piece of shit too. Um, I, I kind of love it. I love that. We're just given sketches of them. Um, uh, it almost feels like a turnaround is fair play for for women because, like in Western, the most in Westerns the most troubling thing in Westerns for is just how barely women are etched in these films. I mean, they're very they're very much so literally either the schoolmarm or the whore prostitute. I mean, they're never given anything more in Westerns of substance. And in here, they kind of take that trope of the prostitute slash whore and flips it on its ear and gives them a lot more power and but doesn't shy away from like just the way that like how shitty these fucking dudes are. Uh, I mean, quite in fact, there's a plot there. There's an entire plot point with with just that the brutalization of a woman. I mean, it's it's not. It's handled discreetly, but it's still very disturbing when you watch it. Like I was, I had forgotten about the moment and when it happens and when they they take they take a certain somebody. Um, you're just like, oh fuck, fuck, and it's just it's really good. I mean, it's it's not good as in, it's not good in as in as in the this like you know the content, but it's just more of like it's a good plot turn, but it's. It's it it very much so toes the line between exploitation and like socially conscious, which I think that Kaplan continually does in this time period in his in his career. Like I've not reapproached unlawful entry, but I have a feeling that that movie could go either way. It could be either a really great kind of um, proto like police like abuse uh, film, or it could be just total and utter drag. I'm not sure because I haven't I haven't watched it in 20 years, but this is the kind of stuff that Kaplan specializes in. Um and then even the guys that are there to help them are very much so they're they're barely etched. I mean like the the character of Will played by um played by James Legros is like literally the love interest for one of the characters. And then of course, Josh, uh, played by Dermot Mulroney, not Dylan McDermott. Okay. We got to get that right. Dermot Mulroney, not Dylan McDermott (laughs) is a vengeful asshole that kind of helps them. But at the same time, he causes a lot of fucking problems for them. Um, in a, in, in a very similar fashion that, uh, a woman character would do the same in a all male um in an all male film an all male western i mean it's all to say it's like i fucking love this film i mean the action scenes are nice crisp they they get to the point they're they're lean and mean um I honestly don't know why this isn't in the conversation of like, you know, B movie films that people love and are talking about constantly, especially um, I feel like if women watch this, like they, I think they would be genuinely surprised. They'd have to give it a chance because there's some, I mean, like I said, like, like in any film in the nineties or even any film, like in later era or earlier eras, there's, it's not that you forgive them, but you have to understand where they were at the time. And at the time, I mean, even now, this is still a pretty progressive Western. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, there there are a few moments like, of course, Kaplan can't help himself with the exploitation-ness uh, in him coming out with a scene where the women are bathing. And of course, of course, there are bare breasts and nude scenes. And like, I mean, he just... It reeks of like the the exploitation director in him, but I mean other than that, it's it's a like I said, it's a pretty progressive western, and I think that people will enjoy it. Definitely enjoy it. Now we've come to something new. Um, I'm actually with these films. What I felt would be fun and added wrinkle into the things, a, a nice little dessert for you guys, if you will, is with some with. 
this is going to be something that's not going to happen all the time. Of course, like on the newer films that we cover, we won't be able to do this. But what I what I'm going to be calling this is uh, remaking it. This is just simply what I'm going to call it, remaking it. And basically what it is is any film that's a little bit older or something that's, say, let's just say pre-2000s. I'm going to propose a remake of that film with modern actors. I feel it's like a fun way to kind of like mix it up and kind of give you an idea of what I would see as a uh, as the new as a new film. Um, so with this film, what I decided was was that um, I feel like it's like the perfect thing to um, to remake and. Who would I want to remake it? Like, which director would I want to, uh, that I would want to direct it is going back to Jane's Got a Gun. One of the most heartbreaking aspects of that movie when I was watching it go through production was that Lynn Ramsey quit first first day of production. Um, Lynn Ramsey is one of those amazing directors that makes a film once every five years, if we're lucky. Uh, I mean, you just look at her filmography. I mean, she directed one of the, arguably one of the best horror films of uh, of the last 20 years. And we need to talk about Kevin. Uh, Rat Catcher is a classic. Um, even now, her her newest um, her newest film, uh, You Were Never Really Here, um, with uh, that came out this year is. Like right now, it's in contention for one of my favorite films of the year. Like it's literally in my top two or three, if not my top film. I'll have to reassess it as we move forward. But the movie's fucking amazing, and I couldn't think of anybody better that I would like. If I was, I'm gonna play movie producer in this. I whatever it took to get Lynn Ramsey to take this basic story and re and write it to her like to her own end. Whoever she wanted to co-write with, if she wanted to co-write. I'm just giving her the helm. Let her have the budget. But like as for casting, um, I felt like Cody played by Madeline Stowe. I felt like that would be a perfect role for Emily Blunt. I feel like they had similarish careers in regards to the kinds of films that they've that they've taken, um, and. Not so much persona, but I just feel like they're kindred spirits. Um, for the Anita role, the Mary Stuart Masterson uh, role, I felt like we needed to change it up. And um, I felt like Gina Rodriguez would be like the perfect complement to this. I, I feel like between Annihilation and Jane the Virgin, there is a center with Gina Rodriguez that would be highly interesting with the Anita character. Somebody who has inner strength but hasn't just yet found it. I feel like uh, Gina Rodriguez would play that perfectly. And uh, I mean, give it some extra something different. She has a different energy than I feel like that, that could come along like comedic chops, but also she has the dramatic and uh, like she's no stranger to action when you watch um, Annihilation. Eileen, who was played by uh, Andy McDowell, I feel like <laughs> it's interesting because this is somebody that I feel like 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 people have have just never given a chance to, and I feel like she could be the perfect uh, like compliment to what Andy McDowell did, which is Amber Heard. Um, I've always I've liked her since I saw her in. Um, in all the boys love Mandy Lane. That's a that's a film that I just feel is like right uh, unjustly maligned because of the release that it, that it had. And maybe one day, uh, hopefully, people will will exonerate it and make it uh, rise it above the the doldrums that it's it's sitting in. Because man, that movie is so fucking good and so fucking brutal. Um, and she would just make I feel like. As a woman from the South, I think she would be able to kind of give that Andy McDowell kind of spin, but her own spin on it, which I really, I really feel like that that would be a great role for her. Um, and then for Lily, the Drew Barrymore role, um, I thought of who is an actress that could do both action. Uh, she's, you know, she comes from like a. Uh, 
not childhood acting, but like, you know, uh, she's a child actor that's transitioned and age appropriate. And I couldn't think of anybody better than Chloe Grace Moretz. I feel like that role is the role that I think Lynn Ramsey would would have the would have the best the the best chance at rewriting and making sure that that making ensuring that it's it's not as troubling as it initially is or it is, as it initially is on or initially was on screen. And now for the guys, um, for Kid Jarrett, um, the James Russo role. I picked Jonathan Reese Myers. I there's just something about him. I don't know whether it's his like just ungodly good looks or something else. It's just he just begs to play a daddy's boy, spoiled, entitled piece of shit like, you know, a piece of shit like right-hand man. Uh, I feel like it's like the perfect compliment. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like he would play the shit out of that role. Uh, for Frank Jarrett, his father, um, nobody can replace Robert Loja. So I just went with a guy who I feel is just, just like Loja, just brings the gravitas that's needed for any role, whether it's a good guy, bad guy, or somebody in between. And that is one of my personal favorites, Will Patton. Um, I just feel like he could, like he would be, he would be like Jonathan Reese's Myers father. And he would, he would hate his son a little bit because he isn't the man that he wants him to be. Like you can see that dynamic working. Um, I mean, Will Patton to me is like one of those, the not a man's man, but he's like a a strong, silent man, which I feel like is the embodiment of westerns. I mean, there's no doubt that that's the reason why he's cast in multiple westerns. I mean, he's been in at least six or seven westerns that I can think of off the top of my head, and I think that he would just be perfect because of the fact that he's not like a Robert Loja clone. Um, so for the, the good guys, the, the love interests, uh, for Will, um, who was played by James LeGros in the original, I thought about, um, Nick Robinson, a recent, recent rising star from Love, Simon, um, Nick Robinson. He, he has like James LeGros, he has this very affable, almost dork, dorkyish like charm to him. Um, and I really liked that about the James LeGros performance is that he's kind of goofy um, through the whole entire film. It's just, he's just this goofy guy, uh, but also never is anything like anything less. He's not like a, he, he's not, it's not at the expense of his character. It's just literally, he's just a goof. Um, uh and I really like, I think that Nick Robinson could really do a good job with that. And then finally for Josh McCoy, uh, Dirt Mulroney, Dem, uh, Dylan McDermott, um, I I went in a different way. I I, I, I like Dylan, uh, I like, <laughs> even I did it now, I like Dirt Mulroney, I really do. He's He was one of those guys that you just, you watched in the 90s and it was just like, I like, in a way, it's kind of like he was like Gary Cooper. It was like that guy that you could like you see him and you go, you know what? I like the dude. I really like the dude. Like if he was if he was born 50 years before, he would have uh, Dern Mulroney would have been in that conversation of like like Gary Cooper or Jimmy Stewart is just this affable, good guy. It just he had the shitty luck of being in the 90s uh like start in the 90s where they just didn't they really didn't know what to do with him which was really just i mean it was just sad uh and then uh i went with edgar ramirez i i feel like you needed somebody that would be emily blunt's equal and somebody that like when they when when they have their moments where they're facing off, um, ideologically, um, I feel like Edgar Ramirez is, has a different vibe than, than Emily Blunt. But I also think that he's, he would have this chemistry with her that would be different than what we initially saw in the bad girls 
original that would just be kind of like a perfect compliment. This this guy who's almost like a stone cold killer, like very much so, like like a stone cold killer. Killer, whereas the um, Darren Mulroney version of Josh was more an unsure. An unsure, like an unsure character, even though he knew he needed to do something, that there was a very specific reason why he was hunting the same people that um, uh, that were chasing Cody. It's it would be it, it would be nice a nice compliment, and I think that Edgar Ramirez would just fucking kill it. And I would love to see Edgar Ramirez in a, in a western. I just I, I like him as an actor. I just like. I feel like he should have been a star by now, and we just haven't seen him be, like take take that into the next limit. And also, I feel like he got wrongly maligned for for the Point Break remake, which he's actually fucking awesome in. And the movie is actually, I, I'll like you know hear another unpopular opinion by Adam. I kind of like the. Uh, the Point Break remake, I just wish they didn't fucking call it Point Break. If it was something entirely different, if they, if it had been called, like, you know, if it had been called, like, you know, I don't know, fucking Furious, and it was just a fucking, it was just a movie that, that, like, Fast and Furious, like, took reference points from Point Break, I, I think that we would be having a different conversation about, like, like the film being a terrible fucking movie, but I really liked him in that film and I like him in most of the stuff I see. I, I feel like he, he deserves a second chance. And I think that this would help with that along the way. So yeah, there's my remake of, uh, of uh, bad girls circa 2018 coming in 2019, the summer of 2019, I wish in IMAX 3d, right? <laughs> So that does it for uh, for today. Uh, you're going to hear next time you're going to hear me pontificate about the quick and the dead, the Sharon Stone Western that is possibly one of my favorite Westerns of the 90s um, and one of my favorite Sam Raimi films. It has a murderer's row of of actors um, very much so like like uh, like bad girls, but an even greater level. And we'll get into that and what movie that movie is referencing. Uh, and, uh, a remake of that one. What I see is a remake of that one. So we'll get into that all the next time you can reach out to us on social media. Um, all of the social medias, letterbox, um, Instagram, Twitter, they're all the same handle. It is B movie pod. Uh, you can, uh, reach out, uh, you can reach out to us on those as those social medias we are on of course the we're on a new website uh the movie aisle that's that's our new home and it will be for the lifetime of this uh of the podcast how long it lasts so you can always look at, uh look up uh us there it's just the movieisle.com and with that guys thank you so much for your support and coming back into the fold and those of you that are new to this podcast i hope you really enjoy this it's a lot of fun for me to talk about these things it's also fun for me to interact on social media about these things so if you reach out to me if you like the film or you fucking hated it whatever it may be please just let me know i mean reach out to me i love I don't do this for myself. I do this for you and me. Um, I love curating these things. I love talking about these films. I love getting into the thick of it with people. So please do not hesitate. I won't bite. Um, I may bark a little, but I mean, as is the nature. Um, and then if by any chance you heard the Snorlax, that is my dog, that is Pliskin, uh, the co-producer, co-creator, um, and general mascot of the b-movie podcast for those of you that have not that are just joining the podcast and haven't deep dived into our other episodes just know that he is a staple of it you will hear his jingle jangle of his of of his uh of his license and you see he even snored there hopefully you didn't hear them hear him but you'll occasionally hear him snore too so um he does not have social media page uh but you can always see him on social media uh occasionally on the instagram page for the b movie podcast but until next time guys thank you so much for listening and we'll talk soon Fast, die young bad girls, do it well. Live fast, die young bad girls, do it well. Live fast.
ass when I'm banging on the radio Yeah, back it, back it Yeah, pull up to the bumper game with the signal Cover me cause I'm changing how to handle on it My life but I broke it When I get to where I'm going, gonna have you saying it Can I take you? Get back, get down 